back to the rate of change with York Wealth Management. As advisors to some of the wealthiest families in the country, the rate of change is a podcast designed to help you in the pursuit of building long-term wealth through the insights of some of the brightest minds in asset management. I'm your host, Murdoch Gaddy, and in today's podcast, we're speaking with Ian McCowan, the Managing Director of Pinnacle Investment Management Group. Pinnacle is a growing multi-boutique, which provides their affiliates non-investment funds management services, enabling the investment managers to focus on what they do best. Currently, they oversee $90 billion worth of FUM across 15 affiliate firms in various asset classes, which provides investors options across most market cycles. Along with holding equity interests in their affiliates, they provide seed funding, global institutional and retail distribution, and industrial-grade middle office and infrastructure services. For me, I really enjoyed hearing Ian break down how Pinnacle came to be and why they've chosen to work with specific fund managers. He unpacks what services they offer to fund managers, how the business operates, and where new technological advancements such as artificial intelligence are being used to improve the managed fund services industry. Before we get into the podcast, I would also like to encourage you to listen to the disclaimer at the end of this podcast and to keep your feedback coming. You can reach me at mgatti at ywm.com.au. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Ian McCowan, welcome to the Rate of Change with York Wealth Management. Thanks, Murdoch. Thanks for having me. It's really good to have you on, Ian. Um, I've been uh, using your funds for a while, and we've had many, uh, you know, guests on from some of the fund managers, you know, which are underneath your stable. So yep. uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation for for us. I'm going to find it very interesting, and for our listeners as well. Yep. So why don't we uh, kick things off? And I always like to start with uh, learning a bit about yourself. So um, how did you get into the world of finance? And do you mind giving us a little bit of an insight into your formative years? Yeah, absolutely. So I knew from quite an early age, really, that um, money and finance and all things financial uh, could make a big difference to people's lives. And I was really interested in commerce and financial matters and um, so I just knew I wanted to go to university and do commerce you know I think I think you're lucky if you just have this inherent strong feeling uh, as to what things interest interest you and uh, so I was lucky enough to have that so um, I grew up in Rockhampton actually in central Queensland I took a bonded scholarship to do commerce at university. That led to internships and a really good job at Queensland Treasury. So most people are surprised that I started in the public sector, but that was actually fantastic training ground. Uh, I loved it from the day I started. Because I loved it, I worked hard, got, you know, rapid promotion. And um, long story short, I ended up as the first CEO of Queensland Investment Corp as a brand new corporation. Uh, I just turned 33. 
and that's how I got into investment management. Yeah, right. Yeah. I always find um, the some people have straight paths, and other other people um, proceed to you know you, you would never understand the path how they got there. But then yeah. when you look back at it, it it it's essentially the you know, without that journey, they would not be where they are and they wouldn't be able to have the insights and the ability to run such an operation. Absolutely. And look, the older I get, the more I want to help young people, especially young people coming into our industry. We have women in finance scholarships, etc. And what I say to them is um, get in touch with your, your feelings as to the sort of thing broadly you're interested in and then get started. Mm. And then the journey will go as it goes. Um, and you'll have choices to make along the way. But as long as you're reasonably self-aware, um, it'll take you in a good path, probably very different from what you initially imagined. I, I had no idea I'd end up in funds management. It was really because of the superannuation, you know, the growth that we could see ahead in that and the impact it could have on people's lives that uh, got me so excited about investment management rather than, you know, running a treasury. Yeah, look, it's so true. Like even my background, um, what I went Joey's was really I really enjoyed the architecture, so I wanted to become an architect. But yeah. then marrying architecture with um, the maths and the engineering level behind it, ended up at Sydney University. Uh, didn't do architecture, but all my mates were architects. And what yeah. I learned was, if you're not the top ten percent in architecture, you may as well have your cab license. And right. some of these, some of these kids at Sydney University, some of my friends were just so talented. Yeah. And then, and then, but but the other thing on which I realised, you know, going through that and chatting to friends, is there's different ways which you can get into building beautiful things. And the other, and one of them which I thoroughly enjoyed was, you know, the the finance side of things, right? Yeah. And and we'll get into it as well. But like, you know, one fund which we've had, um, you know, on before, which is Palisade, um. They're just doing such a great work for the Australian community in the mid-tier infrastructure space. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, everyone just wants to be a part of um, beautiful things being built, yeah, which absolutely. I find, find quite yeah, interesting. It's fantastic. And, you know, that tech background, I see computing and so on, that will stand you in very good stead in the future because, uh, and maybe we'll get into that, the use of technology will be very important in delivering you know, excellent investment outcomes to people who have a great need. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's, it's so funny you say that. I did a bachelor of design and computing. I thought it was complete out of the waste of time because I just wanted to row at Sydney University and have fun and go to state and you know do the Trans Tasman and all that type of jazz. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, fast forward ten years, it was probably one of the best foundations for the modern world we're in. Yeah. That yeah. And then you know, master of commerce, a bit bit of fun. But yeah, look, tell me about. Um, Pinnacle uh, and how that came to be. Yeah, so I um, and my colleagues, who I guess you'd say were the founders of Pinnacle, uh, we cut our teeth, got our early experience at institutional funds managers. You know, most fund managers were owned by banks or life companies and so on. And we were ultimately disillusioned at the ability of those kind of structures to provide the right environment for investment excellence, for the most talented investment professionals to get on with that extremely difficult but incredibly important job 
of delivering investment excellence, investment outperformance, you know, and also importantly in sustaining investment outperformance. Everyone was looking to take shortcuts. We were poaching each other's people, which our clients hated, by the way. It's the last thing clients wanted. They wanted stability. And, um, you know, the talent and investment professionals were distracted in so many ways. And the industry just wasn't set up to deliver what we were promising our clients. Um, So we felt that there has to be a better way, a better environment for these talented, scarce, amazing people to go about, you know, this incredibly important task. So we came up with this, uh, what we call the multi-boutique model, which we felt was the best of both worlds. We felt that the boutique environment was very likely to enable the most talented and experienced people to deliver the best outcomes. But uh, a standalone boutique could be fragile and um, and the investment people could be distracted by the other functions. So you, to be a, an excellent investment management business, you have to be good at distribution. You have to have all the infrastructure to a truly excellent standard. Um, and yet these people have to focus on investing. So how can you do all of that? So um, our solution was the best of both worlds, the boutique environment for these investment professionals, but with the functions where scale could be a benefit, um, you know, those were shared functions. And we took the responsibility for delivering those functions to the investment professionals to a very high standard and saying, if you don't want to, don't worry about these things. You just get on and investing. That's the scarce and precious piece. We'll do the other bits. So that's really, um, well, for me, it was perennial first. That was the first multi-boutique. Then in the end, things changed there. I went looking for another backer because I was such a believer. I was just a passionate believer in this multi boutique model and it it didn't really exist so we had to build it we had to build it from scratch so I for example boring uh, you know public servant ended up an entrepreneur uh, out of necessity because the model that I believed in didn't exist we had to build it and that was 17 years ago it's been a long journey and there were a lot of skeptics in the early days but um not too many skeptics anymore, Murdoch. People generally are believers that it's a great model. The brave go into the fray. Um, yep. yep. The brave go into the fray indeed. Look, I've always respected entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, the people that can see that something, there's a need and it doesn't exist. And there's a whole lot of people that are going to hate you for it. But yeah. the thing is, at the end of the day, if your product's sound and, you know, there's a need and you're actually giving people what they want in a better format, it just benefits everyone. And 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 just to give uh, for our listeners that aren't really familiar with what uh, a boutique uh, fund manager is, uh, maybe we can discuss it in the concept of horses, right? It's a very nice way of putting it. So, yeah. uh, you know, everyone loves horses, but only some people can afford to, you know, own multiple horses, house them, warehouse them, feed them. 
And then, but some people just want to ride horses or race horses, right? So would, would it be the correct analogy saying that you essentially own a horse stable, yep. um, which enables people to, you know, own horses and keep them in your stables and make sure that everyone's looked and fed. And then when they want to ride them, they can ride them. Absolutely. Um, I'd go even further and say that the people who look after those horses can just focus on the horses and the looking after them, they don't have to worry about the broader aspects of the business and making sure that everything else is organised and so on. But, yeah, it's a good analogy. It's all about focus and people doing the things that they're good at and not having to do everything. Yeah. Teams teams make more money than yeah. an individual. Absolutely. And it's also a stronger and more resilient business model. If you only own one horse, you know, uh, you'd have to be very lucky for it to be successful. Whereas if you do own a stable of them, uh, you're going to have some winners. The other thing which I wouldn't mind um, discussing and your thoughts on this is that we, we saw we, when there was a big move into uh, managed funds, what, 20 years ago, you know, for Australians, which is everyone normally just had a ComSec account and Australian property. Uh, but the world of, you know, high-end wealth management, uh, you know, people were looking for um, incredibly brilliant minds to run wealth in particular asset classes. We did see a, a trend of a number of great firms um, coming out that started with one particular strategy and all of a sudden they had 10. Um, but one thing I always thought was quite challenging for those firms was, you know, what happens if your main speciality is just, say, growth assets or your main speciality is property or it's just fixed, fixed income? Um, you know, we hope this isn't the case, but as we've noticed that nearly every single investment out there does have a particular cycle to it, if, yes. it's, sh- if it's short term or if it's long term. So um, why? So with, with the funds you currently have, um, how many funds are there and why have you um, chosen um, the particular strategy, strategies in the portfolio? Is that to diversify yeah. against that cyclical risk yeah. or how's yeah. it work? Absolutely. So we wanted to have a strong and resilient business that no one ever has to worry, could you be in trouble uh, during a particular stage of the cycle? So we have 15 affiliates. Um, We believe they are all amongst the best of their kind and they all specialise in particular areas. And as you say, they're all different and it's quite diverse. Um, you know, we have Australian equities, global equities, global REITs, um, more recently, more private market asset classes. Metrics is, is um, you know, private credit. Um, Coolabar is listed credit. 5V is private equity, etc. So it covers a big range. So, um, you know, our proposition is simply um, we don't have to do everything. But everything we do, we have to be excellent at. And we will deliver to our customer base a range of investment capabilities which are in need, which people are looking for, to a very high standard with the talented investors focused on delivering just that, just their specialisation. So let's let's discuss some of the um, actually let's 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 do this. Like say right now, um, 
is there a particular asset class that's not currently in the stable that you're looking to, um, you know, find a partner for? Like, what, what's the? Yeah. So there, there are quite a lot of them, Murdoch. Um, <laughs> it's it's amazing. People say to me, "Oh, you've got fifteen. Surely you're done." And no. <laughs> um, you know, the needs of investors are increasingly diverse. And there's a lot more out there that we could do. But we don't say we want to have one of these and one of these and one of these. The most important consideration for us is with a particular investment team that we discover, whether they approach us or we go looking for them, are they the real deal? Are these people the best in the business um, with a proposition that investors need? And if that's the case, then we'll back them and we'll deliver that to the market. Um, Unfortunately, you know, we're listed and it's normally confidential when we're talking to people. They may well be working for a big institutional funds manager at the moment. I didn't ask the name. I just said, hey, you're interested in an asset class. (laughs) What type? Yeah. No, no. But, um, you know, we're talking to quite a lot of people at any point in time. And uh, to be honest, many of them, don't end up having us back them. In fact, I, um, you know, we do a huge amount of work with people. We need to get to know them extremely well. Um, I used to say that of the people we look at closely, we probably only do one out of 10, and now it's probably one out of 20. So the bar is very high. The standard is very high because... We're about investment excellence, and if we are not completely convinced uh, about the proposition and the team, we'll say no. We don't have to do everything. We've got a great stable already. We think our existing strategies can go from ninety billion to probably four hundred billion in time. They don't exceed their capacity, but they've got a lot of capacity left. So, if the new things we do have to be great. Really great, but um, well, if you if you'd indulge me, um, if you're allowed to discuss it, I'd love yeah. to take a look under the hood about you know how you how the business actually works and operates. So uh, yeah. how how's the mechanics of it actually work and operate? Yeah, so our business model is pretty straightforward. The investment professionals are the majority owners of their own business. They're an affiliate. And they can go about their job, focus on investing, and we provide all the other services, institutional grade, distribution, infrastructure. They can choose to use all or any of our services, but they don't have to. There's no compulsion. That's just there to support them. We make our money through the minority equity we own in those boutiques. So it's highly aligned. Most of our investment professionals are investors in their own funds uh, and we often invest in those funds as well. So there's just a tremendous amount of alignment. Um, They make the decisions on when they're out of capacity or whether they add any extra strategies and um, we're there to support them. Um, And they generally do use our services so that they can stay focused on investing. But it's a pretty simple model. 
minority equity, but we like it to be real equity. We have arrangements with them for the recycling of equity as younger investment professionals emerge and when founders or older people look to retire, we expect that equity to be recycled because we're building businesses for the very long term. We expect Do you mind our- just giving a bit more clarity on what you mean by recycled? Yeah. So there are arrangements whereby when the time comes, and we, we don't push for this to happen any sooner than it needs to, but when uh, people are looking to step back or step down, they have to sell their equity um, to either emerging executives, often with loans from Pinnacle, or sometimes Pinnacle will buy that equity and over time sell it to emerging executives. But is that like- contractual or is it more, as you said, with loans, you know, it's in the capital stack that, you know, there's an agreement that, you know, you're first in the queue if someone's looking to retire and, you know, a key a key manager is looking to exit, you're first in the queue to um, yeah. uh, have the rights but not the obligation to purchase that equity in the business. How does that work? Yeah. So it's all about ensuring succession and longevity of the businesses. Um, it is contractual that they have to sell because we don't want people sitting on equity beyond them making a contribution anymore. One of the observations we make is that investment management firms around the world do succession poorly. Right. And it's and it's sad, you know, people hang on for whatever reasons, ego or whatever. And we could name some of the some big fund managers who've had to, you know, dynamite out founders and who who lose key emerging people because they don't do succession. But yeah, that's part of our secret source, Murdoch. It's part of um, the deal that we do when we partner with investment professionals. We contemplate succession, even though that might be 20 or 30 years away uh, because it's too late once you're getting closer to it to try to put arrangements in place. Yeah, it's very similar uh, with conversations that we're having with wealthy families. You know, put the it, you know where the issues come is it, when someone makes a decision or health or something equivalent, or yep. you know they want out tomorrow, and no yep. one's had a conversation. No one knows what's going on. There's no communication, and then it's a dumpster fire of an it's, event, and and emotions get involved, and it's very difficult to handle. It's, it's too late, and what a tragedy. Yeah, Someone it's such a tragedy. A lifetime. Someone's built, spent a lifetime building something and it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that doesn't have to be that way and it shouldn't be that way, but you've got to be thoughtful from quite a long time earlier, way before it's imminent. And, uh, and it's not perfect, but you can set things up to give the maximum prospect of of good succession. Well, let's discuss that key person uh, risk in some of these managed funds. Um, you know, some of the fund managers I've met over time, uh, they are the business. Uh, you know, we could, yep. there's, a, there's a very high profile one that, you know, was the number one player in global and, you know, is, um, you know, on its way back, but, you know, it's gone the way of Manchester United. Um, yeah. How do you deal with, you know, having such a prolific figure leading the charge and then, yeah. you know, an event occurs and you do have that, you know, transition, but, you know, the trend, it's not exactly the shop that it was before. Yeah. How do you help that firm? 
So Get we call them the old times. Yeah, we call them rock star fund managers. We don't do rock stars. So this is I mentioned before that when we set up Pinnacle so long ago, it was to overcome the weaknesses we saw in the industry. One of the weaknesses was firms built on rock stars. And this happens all around the world. And um, we think that's a problem. We want teams, not individual rock stars. Now, of course, we do have key people. Every fund management business has key people. You need leadership. But there's a big difference. It's a little bit subtle. It's a fine line between good leaders, investment management leaders, who are always talking and thinking team, and rock stars who talk and think I. I mentioned we spend a lot of time with people before we decide whether to partner with them or not. And you can tell when people are talking more about I than we. And, um, you know, that they're really on about, they think they are everything and they may have people around them, but that's their servants rather than their colleagues. And we don't like that. We think that makes for a fragile business. Sure, it can blossom for a period of time and sort of slightly sadly, they attract people, they attract investors to them. People love to see a hero. You know, I want to believe in this guy. But the rock star thing has a terrible downside to it. So we spend a lot of time, as I said, working on um, succession and teams building and growing. And uh, that's the reason we want to build long-term, enduring, sustainable businesses. Yeah. Yeah, it's... uh... It's quite interesting, um, you know, I can't help myself, but I, I keep seeing on the buses everywhere the, the new Napoleon movie coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, there's been a number of phenomenal people in history, but the, you know, the rise of falls and empires. But it, 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 that's what I find um, quite fascinating about fund managers and the conversations which I'm having with, you know, clients and friends and family members is, you know, uh, this fund manager, oh, they're great. They're a great person. They're making money, but then something changes. And what I've also noticed is with a lot of Australians that is so used to a standard Australian equity portfolio moving into managed funds because yeah. they've had superannuations at a number of these large institutions, they're so, they think that I stick my money in and then these people are going to be able to manage that regardless and always get me the result. They don't understand yeah. that uh, a fund's business, they're just people, right? Yeah. You're playing the person, not necessarily, and, and the team. It's not like you're purchasing an index fund or where there's an algorithm going into it. No. So it's quite it's, interesting how you manage it. Because by the sound yeah. of it, you're you're essentially running an administration business for managed funds and your currency is people. Is that correct? Yeah. People is everything. People is the absolute core. And I would say don't be in the funds management business if you don't understand that these talented investors, investment professionals, they have certain personality traits. They can be difficult to work with and so on. And it's a complex, it's a whole environment. It's not just one person out there being a genius because the downside to that is just crash and disaster. 
Now, we say that is not necessary. It is not inevitable that you'll get crashing. Um, but you have to plan for it well in advance. You have to be able to work with these people. And, um, you know, it's a day-by-day proposition. As issues start to emerge with people, you need to address them so they don't become big problems. Whereas, you know, with a rock star, people just convince themselves, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, you know, but it won't. Yeah, yeah. the only constant in life is change. So, uh, very true. So, with uh, just getting back to the mechanics a bit, uh, how much, um, with all the funds, the 15 underneath Pinnacle now, um, how much money are they overseeing? A bit over $90 billion. $90 billion. Yeah. It's grown tremendously. Um, yeah. We, we've been listed now for seven years and I think, um, I think we're probably about, you know, $20 billion when we listed and we've grown very, very strongly. I think our CAGR, it's well over 20% per annum. So um, which just goes to show if you get something right, and it's not easy, and you have to execute continually, but if you get it right, people love it and um, you will grow rapidly. But you need to be, uh, you need to plan for rapid growth as well. And, you know, our model is quite modular, so it can grow rapidly without problems. Do you, uh, can, can the fund managers work anywhere in Australia? Work from home? It's, so, it's a, or are they required to? Yeah. So the requirements of the funds or? The overwhelming issue is what delivers for clients. That's what matters. So, no, certainly we have some affiliates as they become more and more global. You've got people in different parts of the world and so on. But, you know, the majority of our affiliates um, now have their people in the office most of the time because of those subtle benefits of sort of collaboration and sparking, sparking off each other and sharing ideas and so on. That's the way it's turned out. Not because anyone's mandated it, but because... And each affiliate makes its own rules, you know, but that has tended to be the case. Investing is hard. You need everything going for you. And so most of our affiliates have ended up figuring that even though, you know, they like flexibility and um, talented people need a degree of flexibility... Um, they also need to work together quite a lot. Teams make more money. Yeah. Very, very true. Um, the other question I had is, is it predominantly Australian domiciled funds or do you have any international or are you considering any international domiciled funds? Yeah. So at the moment, just because of our history, um, 13 of our 15 affiliates are sort of headquartered in Australia. Um, a number of those have people located overseas in the US, Canada, London and Europe, etc. But 13 of them are headquartered here. Our two most recent builds, or what we call Horizon 2, where we build things from scratch, are overseas. One is Akia, which is based in London, um, although a couple of the key people are out here at the moment. 
Ashish presented at Hearts and Minds on Friday. Um, but they're based in London and Greg Dean and the Langdon team are based in Toronto, Canada. They do global small caps and they're based there. Yeah, we think um, we're becoming increasingly global. It's a global industry and uh, we're finding a demand for what we do overseas as well as in Australia. We've been doing distribution overseas for a while. About 11 billion of our 90 comes from overseas investors and that's growing rapidly. So we think we will we will end up with quite a few more affiliates based overseas in Is, global global asset classes. Yep. So so if I'm understanding you correctly, the the Australian domiciled business is going quite organically and yes. you know, you're having a number of conversations with a lot of people. So as you said, you're choosing one out of twenty. So, you know, that's quite stable. Are you saying that your main from a growth focus um, internationally? Is, it, is on the mind? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and we don't rule out excellent things that are Australian-based and we tend to know the people here. But, um, yeah, I think there'll be more done overseas than in Australia now. And um, Australian investors need uh, global asset classes, a range of asset classes, and we'll, we'll deliver those. Um, if the yep. international business grows, and you probably can't talk about this because you're listed, um, would... Yeah. Um, Inter, uh, an international listing be potentially on the cards? Look, a dual listing at all? Or Yeah, look, I don't really think so, Murdoch. We love the Australian, um, you know, the ASX is a great base for us. We have, uh, you know, a lot of Australian fund managers, institutional shareholders, but we have some foreign ones as well. But they don't, they don't seem to be calling for us to be listed over there. They seem to be able... You know, they're global equities managers. They seem to be able to invest in a company listed on the ASX. I just think we need to stay focused and true to what has made us, what's made us great. And we don't want to get over our skis. Yeah, yeah. We How many times have we seen that before when you, you've done so well, so well in your, you know, your little patch and then companies try to yeah. overextend in particular areas. Like look at Starbucks, yeah. right, you yeah. know. Or, you know, going into the fray and then realise, hold on a second, you know, people in particular countries do not like coffee. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we've said um, as we do things overseas, we're going to be incredibly careful because um, we're acutely aware of those mistakes. Yeah, you've got to keep um, the right culture. So we talked about, um, uh, okay, what's a day in your life? So for me, um, I'm a servant leader. My The most important aspects of my job are making sure that we are doing an excellent job of supporting our affiliates. So I'm on the board of many of our affiliates, plus we're their distribution partner, we're their ops partner. Um, I say to people, I spend most of my time on worrying about the things that could go wrong and any issues that are emerging because I've always had this philosophy, if you address things early, as soon as they are emerging, then nothing becomes a really big problem. So um, a day in my life, um, often affiliate board meetings, but I also catch up informally with a lot of people in our affiliates 
Um, and then our people in distribution and all of our ops, etc. I'm sort of there um, at their disposal if they need me, if there's anything complicated or important that they need me. I also have to um, stay open to our shareholders. I mentioned institutional shareholders. We've got to keep them informed. Um, twice a year, we have results, annual results, half-year results. We spend a week out on the road talking to shareholders. So that's one aspect. Um, but we keep we keep it a flat structure. We keep it tight. We keep the personal relationships strong. We need to know what's going on in, in our people's lives. Um, so, yeah. How many people in Pinnacle now? There are about 120 in Pinnacle itself. And broadly... About half of those are in distribution, marketing, etc. Um, Australian wholesale and retail, distribution, institutional, offshore, and about half are operations. You know, responsible entity, middle office, finance, risk, insurance, all, all that stuff. Um, all the stuff that just has to be done very well so the investment professionals don't have to worry about it. Do you see any changes? Um, I, I did a podcast uh, yesterday and one of the, he asked him what was the main risks he's currently facing. He said the main risk is essentially regu regu regulation risk you know, with the government. Is there any uh, yeah. uh, big risks coming down the pike with regulation? Like, you know, I, I'm a financial advisor. We just went through the phase here. I think there was, what, 16,000 advisors and then we're down to like 8,000 now. Massive. You didn't pass the test and... There's, yeah. there's, there's fantastic um, investors, you know, 60-year-olds, 50-year-olds that are essentially being forced out purely because they did what probably all of us should have done and, you know, not spent five mm -hmm. years and, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars in, ed in education and they just, yeah. you know, went straight into the game and they're probably some of the best advisors that I've ever seen or ever yeah. had the privilege of working with. But yeah. there's continuous changes. Yeah. What do you see happening? Absolutely. And, you know... We're sort of a market-led organisation. We pride ourselves on being very close to our clients and customers and understanding how their needs are changing, how our industry is changing. But, yes, we are in a very heavily regulated industry, and I would say rightly so. We are entrusted with other people's money. That's a huge fiduciary, fiduciary responsibility. Um, it's important to understand... Um, where the regulators are coming from and stay ahead of all of that. We put a lot of emphasis on it to make sure we're not ever going to be in trouble, we're ever going to be doing anything that might uh, cause us to run foul of the regulator. We put a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, just ethics and having high standards and always thinking about our investors, the people whose money it is. Our, our mission or purpose of our company is enabling better lives through investment excellence. So we're always thinking about our customers. So there have been changes for fund managers in regulate, um, regulation. Um, your super, your future was one that made some changes. But it's more um, the investment environment is changing. I mentioned it's globalising, etc. So... Um, Another thing is technology is going to change things a lot. 
Um, you know, people are talking about AI, but I think we generally only have a very vague idea of what it means. To me, it will be enormous. And I want to make sure that we understand the potential of all of these new tools, the new data, the computing power, um, what can be done to gain insight to make better investment decisions. That's going to be quite big. All of our affiliates are working on it in one way or another, but it's, it's quite uncertain. As you say, uncertainty is... Uh, uncertainty prevails but um but you know these these are also opportunities if you keep if you, if you focus on excellence if you're focused on doing everything you can to be the best investors you can be then you don't miss these things you know you you are um you're there uh, let's keep going on the on the tech and the ai and just the the evolution that is the access to information. Uh, like I was listening to Joe Rogan and Elon Musk discuss, uh, you know, AI the other day. And he yeah. says that, you know, he's actually quite cautious about, you know, the damage which it can do. But then I speak, yeah. oh, look, I use it my, myself um, in a number of aspects and it takes tasks that might take four hours down to like 30 minutes. You can phrase an article yeah. as a particular question and yes. then you get talking points and it just completely... Um, has expanded and like me personally i run my own business uh we all call off management used to be with shoring partners but if you look 20 yes. years ago i've got a number of friends that came through jb Weir, you know, morgan stanley a number of these fine institutions but they held the keys to you know if you're an advisor you had to work at a large institution if you wanted yeah. any research fast forward 20 years and you know i'm very privileged to now be able to do what i do because I have now access to so many fantastic third parties that have just evolved efficiently providing access to efficient, accurate, on-time information that just makes my life able to live the life which I do. Like, how are you finding the evolution of technology and AI in the business? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, technology is the secret to improving productivity and to overall advancement of standards, ultimately to improve lives and living standards. Of course, all technology can be dangerous or damaging if it's used the wrong way, and we do need to be careful about that. But the big risk is missing the opportunity and not being on the front foot and taking advantage. I mean, I think of even of the internet. People ask me about AI, and I say, well, think about the internet. When it started, it was some vague, only techos had any idea about it, really, and this idea about the cloud and email and all this stuff. It was just mind-boggling. But then we started to see the practical applications, and it's been a revolution. And, you know, how much improvement has occurred. AI will be the same, but you'll need to understand it. You'll need to have the resourcing. Um, you know, it means adding some expense and, you know, studying the emerging capabilities that are available to you. Um, sort of two categories. One is massive improvements in efficiency, as you've talked about, which we are onto, and that will be tremendous. 
But in investing, um, better investing insights. I mean, I've always said investing is pretty simple, really. It's researching and uncovering the information that you need. Then it's analysing it and gaining insight out of it. Pretty simple, really. And, you know, over the decades, I mean, back in the day, people spent the vast majority of their time trying to find the information. Now, um, finding it, you still have to be smart enough to know what data you're looking for and so on, but the tools are there. The computing power is enormous. So, um, you know, if you're not onto it, onto figuring out how you can use this emerging AI-type technology, which will complete, be completely different and keep, keep evolving enormously, you just won't be a good investor in time. So yeah, I, I, find find this, I find this quite interesting, this particular topic, uh, not just for funds management, but just human beings. Like I've, I've, got a, I've got two kids, a four-year-old and turning six, right? So, yeah. you know, we're looking, you know, at the school system and going, okay, well, you know, it was once created by a good old Rockefeller and Ford to essentially put everyone into an industry. And then 1957, you know, they said, hold on a second, we want to stick people on NASA and the, you know, and then my mum got free education in university because they wanted doctorates and et cetera. But, yeah. you know, it, it, I think there's been a change in New South Wales recently, an update to uh, how they're educating kids. Um, yeah. But I still find it's behind. And what I mean by this is I still find that, yes, you need to teach, uh, teach the reading, the writing, the arithmetic, but then arithmetic, sorry. But as you said accurately, is it's not before it was, hey, let's fill everyone's brain up with information and then, you know, you may have a task where you can use it. But what you're really uh, talking about is comprehension skills. Like yeah. there is so much information readily available at a drop of a hat. I think South Park just came out with an, an episode. I won't touch the Disney subject, but they were <laughs> discussing how AI that, you know, normally – yeah, um, you know, people that are unlicensed immigrants over in America, they'll go to Home Depot to get a job as, but they're the, they're the wealthy ones. Some of my friends are making more money than God, you know, as plumbers and everything because no one yeah. knows how to do anything anymore, right? Yeah. And they're holding signs going, I've got a $250,000, you know, uh, debt, you know, with a particular university for a geology degree, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which it is ridiculous now because you just, anyone can just search with AI, you know, how does geology work, right? Yeah. So what's your... So, I suppose the, where I'm going with this is uh, there's a lot of young people probably listening to this podcast as well that want to get into funds management or, you know, your business or be a fund manager or in the investment game. What's your, you know, counsel, you know, to, to them with how do you deal with, um, you know, AI and then building their skill sets to essentially embark on the journey that you've had? Yeah. So, look, it, things will change massively and radically. So I agree with you. You can't fill your brain with all the things you need because as soon as you do, it's redundant. <laughs> um, but as I said at the beginning, because some things never change, the, the essentials, and as long as you stay focused on the essential aspects of what need are you seeking to meet? Because, you know, people's need for investing will never go away. Um, it's a matter of how you can how you can achieve it and get it to them. So what I'd say to young people is, well, absolutely, um, you need to study some tech. You, you need to be tech aware. 
Um, and the specifics of it, to some degree, don't really matter. I, I would also say you need to stake, make a start in finance somehow. You know, you have to show your interest and your aptitude. And by the way, do a good job of it because employers are looking for talented people and we need to see some evidence to say, yes, I want this person and not that person. So you need to get in and just start to demonstrate your interest and your ability. But it's not about the specifics. Um, once you, And get started. You know, get started in your career because so much of the learning that you find mentors and you develop so much once you start and you may change exactly what you're doing. You've probably changed many times. If it's your kids at, at four and six, they will change uh, many times. But the basic idea of thinking about who your customer or client is, what their needs are, and my job is to find ways to meet that need, that'll never change. It's just the specifics of how you deliver it that change. And, the how and also always changes. Yeah, and also people, as we've discussed, um, put time into your relationships. And I think the younger generation do that better than I did, my generation did. You need to work with people. It'll always be teamwork. I don't care what the computers and the tools are. You still need to collaborate and work with other people. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. There's, uh, Elon Musk was discussing how he pulled his kids out of school and then he built his own school. Um, I call it synthesis or something the equivalent. And the right. entire thing was they got rid of, um, you know, ages for schools and it was about on aptitude. And the entire thing was from the starting of the age of seven, they were playing games like high end comprehension games, essentially like Fortnite on steroids. Yeah. And it was, and they had like four or five kids. And then there was, there was no instructions. There was no nothing. It's just, you know, keep having a go at this. And what they found really quite interesting is do, is some leaders came out, the doers came out. You know, if something's, you know, uh, kids have the ability to essentially explore, find themselves and then do teamwork. Right? Yeah. And the more I read about this, the more I th think, you know, you know, my kids or friends' kids, right, that, that particular skill set, you know, when we're, you know, working in our, my business, your business or a fund manager or something the equivalent, it's all teams, right? The ability... Everything changes every single day. Nothing's, everything's fluid. Every, you know, and then how do we, as you said, what, I asked you, what do you do in your day? And you said, oh, predominantly creating solutions to problems that arise, right? With every people. single day, problem solving, right? Yep. Working with people to do that. Yeah. And it's essentially people, people, people. It's people and problem solving. It's just yep. so interesting. Um, Absolutely. So our education system is going to have to change a lot too, but they'll have some good tools. We hope we've got good people uh, doing the redesign. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a whole topic for another conversation. Don't want to put anyone offside, but look, a lot of great yeah. teachers out there that have done a great yeah. job. Um, you know, they're working. Again, it's a system, right? You know, we're discussing yeah. regulatory changes. You know, what are the, the changes in the system and, you know, how do you go about that to essentially improve one's life, which is everyone's yeah. thinking, correct? Yeah, using the technology that's becoming available. Yeah. Um, the other question I, I had is um, there's some shareholders probably listening in um, and there's some people, you know, that may want to go down the journey of building, you know, a stable of fund managers. What, what are the numbers? Um, you know, uh, what type of profit margins? Uh, you know, how does it 
what are the numbers of the business? Yeah. So the way we have always operated, the way we built Pinnacle, we don't say, oh, we want to get to a certain level of profit, even a certain level of funds. We have essentially said, look, we're on a mission here. We believe, you know, with every fibre of our body that there is a better way of doing funds management. And we think we need, we know what the key ingredients are, you know, the talented professionals in a certain environment supported properly. So if we just go out and we find the best people in a range of fields, we do a good job of taking that to clients, well, it'll be a success, you know? And I'd have to say it's been successful beyond anything we imagined. Um, but it's a platform now and it will grow a lot from here. I wish I was 20 years younger because, you know, you ain't seen nothing yet. But it's about doing an excellent job and doing it for, your, for, for your, the customers and meeting the needs you know they have. If you keep doing that, the numbers will work out. So, you know, as it's turned out, we've all made more money than we ever imagined not because that's what we set out to do. We set out to do something that we thought was important and do it better. And so it turns out lots of people want to invest with our affiliates. That's, um, you know, young people sometimes say to me, as I say, I talk to a lot of them, I try to help. Um, they say, hey, we want to be like you. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? And if it turns out they're saying, I want to make a lot of money for myself. And so you'll almost certainly fail, young man or young woman, because if you do that, you'll take shortcuts. You will not do the right thing by your customers. But if you are on a passionate journey to deliver a need that is a major need and you're just devoted to doing that, you find people who are also devoted to it, get on with it you'll make quite a lot of money. You know, our market cap's about $1.5 billion. Um, it was $3 billion. You know, our share price has halved in the last two years as we've gone through that difficult stage of the cycle. We're not fussed about that at all. We're focused on the medium term. We always have been. So, uh, look, the numbers work out well. It's quite profitable. Um, we always price our things very fairly. We want to be good value for our investors, but it also has to be a, a successful commercial proposition for your shareholders. We talk about four groups of stakeholders, our clients or customers, number one, um, our shareholders, our people. We have to have an environment where top quality people love working and then the community, the broader community, where we're doing lots of things. Um, you mentioned some of our managers. You've seen what amazing things they're doing for, you know, climate and the environment and society generally. Um, of course, our fundamental purpose is helpful to people's lives, enabling better lives. So that... Um, that's the main game and the financial numbers fall out and end up being pretty good if you're good at it. And if you're not, you'll fail.
I think that's um, quite good advice. Build something that people want to play with and then if they want to play with it, they play with it and then essentially, you know, don't focus on the money. Um, I, that's actually been the whole core of what FASI is about. Don't focus on conflict remuneration. If you build and genuinely yeah. look after your family or the people you're looking after and you want to build a service and you want to do it to the highest standard, then yeah. essentially the rewards follow. Yes. You know, don't put the, the cart before the horse. Correct. Um, so... What keeps you up at night and what gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, so, look, to be honest, I sleep pretty well, Murdoch. <laughs> um, I mean, look, part of that's deliberate because I am interested in health and I know that sleeping well is very important to that and to functioning at a high level. Um, I mentioned before that I work hard to address issues as they emerge and I work with my colleagues to do that. And if you do that, which is not easy because people's natural tendency is to dodge hard things, but if you do it, nothing becomes a big problem. The sort of things that really will keep you awake at night, all night. So I feel you know, very good about the quality of the people around me and our business and our business model and our capabilities and so on. So the things that you might think might keep me up awake at night really don't. And that's not that I'm complacent, but that we address things. Um, I mentioned before the changing nature of investing and technology, whether we'll be able to adopt the right new technologies and data and so on. Um, I hate the thought of missing opportunities and not being as good as we can possibly be. That's one thing I do worry about. Uh, in the end, it'll be younger people than me who have the responsibility of delivering that. But, um, but you know what I worry about most of all is the people who are missing out there are so many people miss out, for example, on the benefits of good investing. There are so many people out there who just don't know what to do about money. And with their money, they don't know where to get help. So sadly, just sort of out of, out of fear or just not knowing, um, Money is not used in the way that it ought to be. And, um, you know, you are not going to get the sort of outcomes you need with your money if money's left in bank accounts or cash or just the wrong kind of investments. And, um, you know, I said to a good friend of mine recently who's um, very involved in financial literacy, I said to him, you know, Paul, I'm afraid that I'm going to end up retiring not having been able to do anything about the fact that investors come pouring to the equity market after equities have gone up a long way and they come out after it's gone down and it's just a tragedy. And he said to me, well, you know, Ian, it's in our DNA, fear and greed and so on. So we need to take some responsibility for helping people. But I do worry that we as an industry don't do a good enough job in helping people to get the right outcomes with their money. 
yeah it's uh it's always an interesting one how do you get people on the right path of education hopefully some someone someday may petition the government to allow their finance to be taught in schools accounting uh, legal just shake things up or you know anyone out there that runs an institution or thinking about you know opening up an institution preferably someone in Lane Cove uh, you know that you know offers primary or high school and you know get the ability to educate you know young minds um, early on in the piece to like yeah. even if even if someone wants to get a, you know a sparky or get a chippy trade like the the, they, the majority of my friends that do that they run their own business anyway and and then they need to know okay what do I do with that money and I think at that point you touched on before the majority of the families which I speak to they they're phenomenal they've done the same thing over and over again to a yeah. point of excellence for 30 years running their own thing and one of the most uh, troubling conversations i have is they just, just they, they think that they can take what they've been doing for the past 30 years they get a, a very large windfall when they sell their business or retire or something equivalent a lot of money tens of millions of dollars and then they think they can do the exact same thing in the finance world but yeah. the, the first year if it's a good year and it's say COVID and everything moves up they think they're heroes they don't need any help yeah. But then there's always a winter around the corner. And what they don't realize is the number of variables associated with our industry. And then yeah. they get confused and then they don't know where to hide and they go, screw this. They toss in the towel and then throw the money in, the, you know, in an asset class they think is safe. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah I, I just think, well, don't you agree that just a pathway for you know, education or just the ability to find information yes. um, is so important? Yeah. So financial literacy is just a fundamental life skill. Yeah, like learning English or basic maths and so on. So, and it's not that hard. Um, so, yes, there should be attention given to that. And then, yes, uh, help people to understand you don't have to do it yourself. Mm. If you're an expert in your trade or your field, you don't have to be an expert in investing. You just have to know um, how to find the right people to help you. It doesn't happen often enough. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So with this, that, that being said, Ian, look, it's been a pleasure having you on. I've learned a lot from today and I uh, hope everyone yeah. has felt the same. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. I'm sorry if I've taken us off on a few tangents, but... Um... No, look, that's the reason. Look, in, in, in all honesty, Joe Rogan has been such a fantastic person for the podcast genre of these long format conversations. This is the most enjoyable part when you go on tangents and then you end up in particular places, but it's all associated with financial markets. It's so interesting. Yeah, and again, I really thank things. you for your time, man. No, you're welcome. You're talking about things that I'm passionate about. So that's, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the key to a happy life? It is. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Ian, have a great day. Great. You too. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. expressed in this recording do not represent the view of any other third party and are the sole personal opinions of the speaker. Any reference to financial product does not constitute advice or recommendation and before any action you should seek proper advice from your financial professional. Australian listeners should head to www.moneysmart.gov.au to find more information on obtaining financial advice. To get in touch with York head to our website www.yorkwealth.com.au.